Welcome back to The Director's Cut, a podcast by the Directors Guild of America, featuring today's top directors sharing behind-the-scenes stories of their latest films and insights into the craft of directing. Please take a second to subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. In this episode, Nanette Burstein takes us behind the scenes of her new documentary series, Hillary. Over four episodes, the series uses never-before-seen footage from Hillary Rodham Clinton's historic presidential campaign in 2016, weaving together biographical chapters of her life to reveal how she became one of the most admired and vilified women in the world. Hillary was screened as part of the DGA's documentary series, which aims to spotlight groundbreaking nonfiction films for DGA members and guests by presenting screenings of documentaries as well as conversations with their directors. In addition to Hillary, Ms. Burstein's filmography includes the feature film Going the Distance. The documentary features Gringo, The Dangerous Life of John McAfee, American Teen, The Kid Stays in the Picture, and the DGA Award nominated On the Ropes. Episodes of the television series The Carrie Diaries, Don't Trust the Bee in Apartment 23, and New Girl, and episodes of the documentary series Say It Loud, A Celebration of Black Music in America, and The Investigators. Following the documentary series screening of the film at the DGA Theater in New York, Ms. Burstein spoke with director Rebecca Camisa about filming Hillary. Listen on for their conversation. Good evening, everyone. Thank you for sacrificing your Super Tuesday. To be here, um, I think there should be a round of applause for Nanette for <laughs> taking on quite a story. So, just quickly, what was the genesis? How did this project begin? Uh, well, the project began for me uh, in January of 2018. Um, I got a call from uh, producer Howard Owens that I knew, um, who said, uh, we are doing a project about Hillary Clinton with Hulu. We have all this behind-the-scenes footage um, and, you know, Hulu would like to uh, engage a filmmaker to figure out what to do with this. And, uh, and so I was one of a few people, several people, I think, that, that met on this. And ultimately, I ended up working with them. Um, there were thousands of hours of behind-the-scenes footage, which you saw in the project, which... Um, and we had to go through and see what was there. There was a lot of great moments like you see in the film. There were also a lot of rope lines and speeches. And so I was looking for diamonds in the rough um, in this footage. Um, but the bigger issue is what should this be? And, and what can we say? And for me, it was clear that I wanted to tell, I didn't want to relitigate 2016. I felt like it was like too soon and too raw and... Painful. Um, but I did want to really take advantage of this footage because I felt like, God, there's this incredible asset of seeing, you know, Hillary Clinton behind the scenes, unvarnished. You know, they, they filmed this. They didn't think at the time they would be sharing it. They decided to share it ultimately. Um, they weren't even aware half the time when the woman was filming and when she wasn't. Um, every once in a while, Humo would realize it and be like, 
can you just shut that off? <laughs> Which I would include in the film when that would happen. Um, but for me, I really wanted to tell a larger story about uh, the significance of her life, which, you know, she's an incredibly polarizing figure. She is both, on the one hand, admired, on the other hand, vilified. Uh, somewhere within that lies the real woman and why is she so polarizing? And if you unpack the last 50 years of her life, or even earlier, I guess, um, there's an interesting story about America that's about the feminist movement over the last 50 years and the history of our partisan politics, uh, which really, you know, you see start to play out in a very vicious way in the 90s. And now we're at the point we're at, which is a very divided country in today's world. So I thought there were a lot that we could learn by looking at the microcosm of her life. And if she and those around her could be candid in a way that they never had before, that would be a really unique opportunity. You called her a Zelig-like figure, and I wondered if you could expand upon that. In what ways? She was. I mean, you know, not only is she, you know, I mean, look, she, she came of age in the anti-war movement, the civil rights movement, the women's rights movement. You know, so at a young age, she is living in a white suburb outside Chicago, and she goes to hear Martin Luther King speak. But then, you know, and she's in, she goes to... Uh, uh, Chicago during the riots, she's um, asked to be on the Watergate committee as one of the only female lawyers at the time. Like there, you know, before she became part of the national spotlight, she was in all these places that were kind of remarkable for the big social changes that happened throughout the '60s and '70s. When watching it, you know, there's that moment when she decided to move to Arkansas with Bill Clinton. And I just sat there for a bit. I kind of paused it. And I just went, what if she didn't go with him? Yeah. What would her trajectory have been? What w and I'm just wondering if... No, that was always, a, you know, something I, I thought a lot about. Her friends thought a lot about it. And you know, I think you can see a little bit of that in the film. Like, why are you doing this? Like, Because she did have, you know, her resume and what she had already accomplished at that age. She could have written her own ticket. And she was obviously very interested in pursuing a career in social justice. She could have been, you know, the Ruth Bader Ginsburg of her generation. Um, uh, but she fell in love. And she decided to give up whatever opportunities were there in Washington and wherever else, in New York, however, uh, and moved to Arkansas, you know, which was uh, very different culturally. And obviously her husband had his own political plans and she managed to carve out an interesting life for herself there, uh, you know, became a lawyer um, was the first lady of Arkansas, was under incredible scrutiny, you know, being the kind of woman she was in, in that place as an outsider, not taking her husband's name, not wearing makeup, not dressing the part, and being a lawyer, all of this. Um, I thought it was so interesting. Like, she has this friend, Nancy Gardner, who appears in this film, who says, you know, 
you know, all the things we were talking about at Yale Law School about the women's movement, she was living that on a day-to-day level. She was battling that, you know, because we could talk about it theoretically, but when you live in that... So, yes, she made choices for love. And, And, you know, it's so funny because so many people say about her, well, you know, she latched herself on to this guy to get ahead in life. And I see it as the opposite. Like she had to make a lot of sacrifices because she decided to, she fell in love with this guy and, and that's where he was going to go. And she had to follow. Yeah. I, what I really enjoyed is I, you know, we're so used to this manufactured kind of, you know, way that happens just because of a year of politics. But she says, I was never a politician. I was never, like, I never fit in. I never was going to play the role expected of me. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm still trying to wrap my head around how does this woman, who clearly was pushing so many boundaries, just caught up then to become this ulta... This yes, she, so... Um she had no plans to run for office, as you can see from the series. And, and you know, that's just not just her saying it. It's everyone around her that I met. Like, it just wasn't on her radar. I think she was always involved in wanting to uh, change policy and affect our culture or social justice, but not on the front lines of actually being a candidate, which was really hard for a woman, you know, coming out of the second wave of feminism. It was not easy to do that. So it just wasn't something she considered doing. Um, uh, So, you know, I think that once, you know, and and so as the uh, first lady of Arkansas, she was a fish out of water. As the first lady in, in, you know, as president uh, in, in in the Oval Office, uh, she was also a fish out of water. That was a, a, a decision that she made, though. She she made a decision to say, I'm not going to be the typical first lady. I, you know, we're in the 90s. I'm kind of aware that I'm creating a bit of a social revolution by saying I am the partner to my husband. I'm not just here to, you know, bake tea and or make, you know, bake cookies, make tea, whatnot. I'm here to have an office in the West Wing and to, you know, take charge of the task force of one of the most contentious issues that my husband is trying to pass, which is universal health care that no other president has been able to pass before. Um, so that was a very uh, brave thing to do. Um and a sadly regrettable thing to do because it did not work out. Um, and in some ways, I think she realized in hindsight that, God, in order to pass universal health care, maybe I actually became the distraction for it as opposed to helping, you know, use my brain to make it happen. How were they in participating? Can you tell us how many hours you spent with them, how long the interviews took? How much time did you put into interviews? Because... If you tune into the other segments on Hulu, um, there's some really important moments. And Nanette, I think very successfully, more so than anyone, had able to get 
them to speak more emotionally and truthfully about some very painful and very touchy subjects. So if you can talk about the process of being with them. Um, yes, so I ended up spending a total of seven days interviewing um, Hillary Clinton um, over time. And, uh, and I spent three days interviewing Bill Clinton. Um, and, and then, of course, you know, everyone else you see in the film, uh, which was not days, but hours. And, and I was very, there was so much history that even someone who was, you know, a friend or a journalist, I would insist on three to four hours because I just felt like there was so much to go through. So they were very long interviews, uh, more than your average. Um, and I think with Hillary, um, you know, she is used to doing press interviews where people have an agenda. You know, there's the news of the day, you need to get that story, there's potentially a gotcha moment. Um, and it was clear after a while that, you know, that wasn't my interest. I mean, I think she knew that intellectually, but then there was the process of going through it where it was clear I didn't have this agenda. I wanted to hear her story, and, and I had a lot of follow-up questions because I had, you know, researched her enormously, and... Uh, so she she was a bit reserved in the beginning um, for a couple of days, and then um, she really got used to the process and relaxed, and really became quite candid. And uh, a different side of her came out. Um, and then I went back and asked previous questions because I felt like, okay, we're in a new place, and this is a great opportunity to, you know get that same information, but in a way that where she's more relaxed. Um, Bill is a bit of a puppy dog. He's like, okay, how do I answer this question? You know, I'm so excited to talk. And then, of course, you know, I have to ask him tough questions about his life. But he was, um, you know, even about some of the harder issues, like his marriage and some of the biggest mistakes he ever made, uh, he was surprisingly candid and emotional. So, I was excited to see Bill Frist. <laughs> so I wanted to ask you, who wouldn't talk to you? Who did you go to to speak to? And then... Yeah. Um, so I went to 30-plus people on the Republican side uh, that's universally rejected doing an interview with me. Um, even though, you know, I was very clear, like I have final cut and I, you know, the reason why I want to go to you is, is hear your point of view. Uh, I, they just universally said no, even the more moderates, because it, you know, I guess there's just no upside for them at this day and age that we're in. They're like, okay, any, you know, unless you're like, clearly a right-wing journalist I you know any kind of association is not really good for my brand and um, Newt Gingrich who is someone I really wanted to uh, interview amongst many but he, you know he was obviously play you see him throughout the film he played a big part of the 90s you know is the first uh, representative of partisan politics, contract with America, let's go after the Democrats, 
you know, a, a very vociferously critical of, of the Clintons, particularly Hillary. Well, both of them, quite frankly. Um, we went to him, you know, we made the formal request. His sister does all of his press requests and they politely said no, which I was disappointed by. And someone said, oh, I know him. I have his phone number. Here it is. Here's his cell phone number. And I called him, not thinking he would pick up, but he did pick up. This is all within five minutes. Here's his number. Call him. Okay. <laughs> Call him. He answers the phone. I'm like, okay. So I give him my pitch, and he's familiar with the interview request, and he, again, says no. And, I, you know, I give my, my take on it, like, listen, you know, I'm trying to do something that's objective. I really want to hear your point of view. This we're not trying to do, you know, hagiography hey, on Hillary Clinton. This is not a puff piece. This is why I want to interview you. And he said, um, I would rather stick a needle in my eye than sit down and do an interview on Hillary Clinton. And I'm like, okay, I guess there's not a lot of wiggle room here. So that was kind of the, at least he was honest. <laughs> um, so that was, the, uh, that was the barrier that we were facing. Was there any issue, I know, I, don't, I want to make sure people can ans- ask questions, but was there any issue or topic you wanted to get to that maybe you couldn't, or through the editorial process you had to drop? You know, there were things in the... 16 campaign that I debated about whether to include or not include. Um, I didn't want to relitigate 2016 entirely. I wanted to include that footage because it was very transparent, fly in the wall. It said a lot about her. It helped us ground it in, you know, more modern times when you go back. But I, I wasn't doing a film particularly on, you know, relitigating every aspect of the campaign. So there was always this question of like, okay, how does this event in 16 reflect on her? And, um, you know, for example, when she fainted in 9-11, is that important to include? Um, and certainly interview, I had lots of material to include about it, but it was always a question of, is this important and, and how much, you know, or or... Uh, her talking about the basket of deplorables comment, which she had very interesting things to say about it and was not backing down, by the way. Did no regrets about making that statement. But then in order to understand that, you had to talk about Trump a lot and, and, and the sort of people he empowered, and then it started to feel a lot about him and not her. And I also sort of hated including way too much Trump in this. Um, That's just maybe a personal Thank you for that. Thank you. (laughs) So in that way, it was a a constant internal negotiation with me and my editors to figure out what if 16 is imperative to include and what is not. I have a thousand questions, but I want to turn over to the audience to see if anyone, yeah. Yes, the question is, uh, in later episodes, do we deal with her being Secretary of State? Yes, we very much do. Uh, We deal with every aspect of her career uh, up through uh, 2000. And she was very popular as Secretary of State, yes. Yeah, so the question is about the the process, the research and, and, uh, you know, the sequence of events. So basically, um, I was given this footage. There was 2,000 hours. To be frank, 
a lot of it was rope lines and another camera angle on speeches, and I used the best of, by far, of the uh, more telling behind-the-scenes moments. Um, while that was happening, which took four months, I was also reading everything, the good, the bad, the ugly. Um, all, when I say that, I mean all the different points of view from the left and the right that has been written about her. Um, and I was, you know, giving it obviously a lot of thought because at that point it was just like, okay, I don't know what you want to do with this footage. Are you going to make an election film? I knew I didn't want to do that. I very quickly realized, okay, I want to do a biopic about her, but I want to use this footage. So I think I'm going to interweave these two things. And I, it became clear to me that there were, there were some very compelling themes that I wanted to address in this film and structure the film in that way. You know, I, I thought, you know, okay, her, her life is so telling about the history of the feminist movement. It's also very telling about the history of partisan politics. There's also a giant question mark in so many people's minds about their marriage. Is it a real marriage? Is it an arrangement? What does that mean about her? Is she ambitious? Is she not ambitious? Because, you know, all of these question marks. And so these were the things that I decided were, and then also the fact that she's been highly misunderstood because she's been so guarded with the press. You don't really know the well, Why is she so guarded with the press? Why? And, and, and on top of that, the, 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 the top line to this whole thing to me you know, all of these categories fell into is she is one of the most well-known women in American history, at least modern American history. Um, and she is the most polarizing. And so why is that? And so all of these things fell underneath it. So I thought, okay, with that in mind, I'm going to structure this film chronologically, but I'm going to interweave 2016 chronologically and her life chronologically. I'm going to somehow find a way to tie these two timelines together. And I'm going to focus on these themes because you could go off in so many different directions. And so I wrote a treatment of how I thought it would unfold, which you know is somewhat different than how it did unfold, but not entirely dissimilar. And I was able to structure all my questions knowing that these, this is the story I wanted to tell and these are the questions that I wanted to ask. And it was a giant book of questions, by the way, but it definitely focused the series um, in helping me figure out how to tell the story. Yeah, no, I did end up interviewing both Chelsea and uh, Barack Obama um, who appear in later episodes. I think... You know, the interview with Chelsea, I, I don't use a ton of because, she, first of all, she's young when a lot of this is going on. And then it's uncomfortable for her to talk about her parents' marriage, for example. And then she's out of the house later. So there's only so much she can contribute. Um, but she does. And Barack Obama talks a lot about her uh, role as Secretary of State. And it was great that he agreed to do this because he doesn't. I don't know that he does hardly any interviews now, so um, that was that was wonderful that he was willing to do that. I know, but you know the thing is, is like if I had made this film prior, like while she was running or prior to her running, people would say, "Oh, it's a campaign film." 
you know, so you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. It's tough, um, but I hear you. I know. I mean, it's unfortunate. It's it's so hard for politicians, particularly someone who's been in the public light and has been a lightning rod for their real personality to translate to the public. There's, And I think that's what, and, and as it continues on, you see that more and more. There's so much that is said about them that sticks, even if it turns out to not be true. And that just creates a stink. It does not go away. And then people, you know, now in social media, it's even worse, but um, it's really hard to, and especially as a woman, I feel like, and I don't mean to play the gender card. You know, a lot of men get criticized for sure. Um, but I think that women, particularly the push the boundaries, they, they bring out a reaction in people. I mean, you see it with AOC, you see it with young little Greta, like there's this visceral reaction that's so creepy and disturbing. And that happened to Hillary from the moment she entered the national spotlight and continued on for decades. So, you know, but it never discouraged her, which I always found amazing. Like when I was doing her story, people asked me what was the most surprising thing about her. And I, th I think like the fortitude, because after everything she went through in the 90s, I'd be like, OK, I'm done. I'm doing something else. I'm going to go tend to my garden or do something behind the scenes. She's like, no, I'm going to go run for senator. I'm like, OK, you are crazy. But she does have this endurance that I find really remarkable. No, it wasn't an accident. I mean, I do, um, I just roll all the time, all the time. I don't use a lot of it. A lot of, like, I roll all the time with just everybody I interview. Um, and uh, she, I thought she was aware of it, but it turns out she wasn't. Um, but she was okay with it. I, I do ask people afterwards, like, okay, you know, I was rolling. They're like, no, but okay. Um, but I, I chose in this situation to incorporate it because she is so often um, considered to be inauthentic or that the story is somehow going to be manufactured that I just thought it was important that there was a level of transparency in the process from the beginning. And like, here's behind the scenes. She's getting made up. She's talking to me. She's chatting with me. Um, also part of being a woman, being in the public eye is, eye is getting made up. So I felt like there was a lot of relevancy. And, and I, I like the chit chat we had, you know, when she was just, you know, in between moments, I thought, there was some nice elements to be included, so. Yeah, it did. It was poignant because, you know, you see her early life and all the way up she goes, gets married. She's just herself. She's so not aware of the self and what happens over time and in that life for so long. The self-awareness, it's almost like you can never... I felt I felt badly. I felt like she can't stop it. It's just something she has to do. She has to. Well, particularly getting made up. I mean, you know, in the 70s. I love this thing that her friend from Yale says, Nancy Gertner, of like, you know, there was almost a contest to 
the sort of anti-beauty contest. (laughs) But in the, you know, she goes to Arkansas and she's suddenly the first lady of Arkansas and it gets in the way. The fact that she's not wearing makeup, that she's not dressing the part, um, hurts her ability. It hurts her husband's candidacy. It hurts her ability if she wants to help him with policy to get things done. And I, so at that point she learns a lesson, like, let's not let this get in the way. Like I could care less about this. This is just like something I have to do to get things done. And so it's that perfunctory thing that one makes a choice. Like, okay, well, I really don't care. So let's just do it and be done with it. And then we can get to the more important tasks. No. So what happened is, um, I guess this tends to happen more often with candidates now. They they hire a team to film to film them. Um, mostly the filming is another angle at speeches or film rope lines or film uh, film some behind the scenes. Maybe we'll use some of it for marketing reasons and social media. Maybe no one will ever see this, uh, and so. There was no goal at that moment to make a documentary with this. Uh, But as time went on, there was an idea like, wow, there's some interesting footage that we happen to capture here. Maybe we should do something else with this. And that's where I then came into the picture. Um, So no, it wasn't like, oh, there's a documentary team that's that's out there to have that purpose. Um, It was really just, filming them all the time, not all the time, but at these different moments, mainly for marketing and whatnot. We have time for one more question. Oh, Hi, hey, Barbara. Barbara. <laughs> Incredible documentary filmmaker. Barbara one Koppel. of my mentors, Barbara Koppel. Yeah, uh, the question is how I changed. Um, I definitely became a lot more informed. Um, you know, certainly I, I know my history, but um, with any project, you become compelled to study it enormously. So you become much more informed and it makes you, it makes you think about things every day in an interesting way. I mean, when you think, yes, I intellectually know the history of the feminist movement, but to live it and breathe it with someone who was the tip of the spear, uh, I guess makes you think about it in a more visceral way. And it also makes you more aware of the unconscious bias that goes on now that I deal with, you deal with, we all, you deal with on a daily level in our job, which is, is tough. Um, being a female filmmaker, particularly for the last 20 years or longer, has been um, interesting. And, uh, you know, there's a lot like Hillary, you sort of like, like, okay, I just want to put my head down and get the job done and not be confrontational because where is that going to get me? Um, and you know, now you're in a time where people are speaking out and things are changing, which is wonderful. Um, but so it just, it it makes you think about, okay, well, where are we at now? You know, we've come a huge way. And by studying her last election, um, there is an unconscious bias in the way that she has 
been judged, both in 08 and 16. I mean, some of, I think the most interesting commentary to me came from this woman, Cheryl Mills, who's brilliant, who was one of her advisors, her chief of staff when she was secretary of state, who talks a lot about, okay, you know, when she became the first female candidate in 08, there was more overt sexism then, but also, you know, people don't, so a lot of times they're not aware of it when they judge a female candidate. They're not like, oh, I don't, I want to vote for a woman, just not that woman. Or they evaluate them in a different way because they're just not used to a woman in that position. So they don't say, I'm not comfortable with it. And we don't say that to ourselves. But you start to think, well, why do they want to do it? What is their reasons? What is their policy? How are they... You know, how are they performing on the stump? Are they charming me? Are they school marmish? Are they shrill? Like all these other issues come up that you don't necessarily attribute to any kind of issue that you have with a woman running. And I think that happens, and, and it's not just men doing this in any way. I mean, women are just as guilty. We do it to each other and ourselves. Um, and, and it's so much harder to get past that level of bias. And that's where we're at now. And we're facing it not just in the 2020 election. And we're just, you know, I think we can all admit we've seen it with Amy and with Elizabeth Warren in different ways. Um, but we're facing it on a daily basis with women in any kind of position of, especially at the highest level of power. A woman who's a boss, a woman who's a CEO, a woman who's, you know, the head of a studio, a woman who's, you know, doesn't even exist, but the head of Morgan Stanley or something like that, you know, this is just a lot harder for us to, and, and we don't say to ourselves, no, we're not comfortable with a woman doing it, but we find reasons for a woman not doing it. And I think that really, just watching the whole history and then seeing it, you know, where we are today made me, you know, hyper aware of, I don't know how we change it. <laughs> I haven't figured that one out. But it made me hyper aware of uh, the trajectory and the problems we face now. So. Thank you, Nanette. Thanks for listening to another DGA Q&A. Don't forget, you can find past episodes of The Director's Cut wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to hear more from our documentary series, check out episode 230, featuring director Alex Gibney discussing his documentary Citizen K with Matthew Heineman. And be sure to subscribe, rate, and review us. We'd love to hear your feedback, and you can help fellow film buffs find the show. Thanks again for listening, and have a great week. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America. Music is by Dan Wally 